everybody, welcome to lesson number three in our study of the awe of God. The title of this lesson is Irresistible Holiness. You say, how can you put those two words together? They sure go together and you'll learn why by the end of this lesson. Let's begin. Proverbs 16 verse 6 says this, by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Now notice it does not say by the love of God, one departs from evil. It is the fear of the Lord that empowers us to be able to walk away from sin or evil. Let me tell you when I experientially learned this. Back in the early 1990s, the very first book that I wrote, well, it just so happens that a minister of the gospel, in fact, this minister was probably one of the most famous ministers on the planet and all for the wrong reasons. But he committed fraud and was sentenced to 45 years. Later, his sentence was reduced down to five years. Well, in the fourth year of his sentence, he had finished the first book that I had written and he contacted his assistant and she called my assistant and asked if I would come and visit him in prison. I said, absolutely, I will. I remember my wife and I went to the city in which he was imprisoned in the federal penitentiary. And I remember him walking out in his prison garb. Then I remember us sitting down and he looked at me and he said, John, this prison was not God's judgment on my life. It was his mercy. He said, if I would have continued to live the way I was living, I would have ended up in hell forever. Well, that disarmed me immediately. He started telling me how they had a church in their prison and that they were studying the words of Jesus, taking every sentence and breaking it down to five words, three words, one word, three words, five words, talking, praying, spending hours a day in the word of God. He told me how Jesus had delivered him from the evil in his life in the first year of prison. I said to him, I said, well, you're obviously leading this church in this prison. You're the most qualified. And he said, there's no way. I was a master manipulator and there's no way I am having anything to do with leadership until I know I'm fully transformed. I was so deeply impressed. And so at one point I looked at him and I said, I need to know something. When did you fall out of love with Jesus? At what point? I remember your passion for Jesus was so convicting. You would weep when you preached. When did you fall out of love with him? At what point? And he looked at me and he said, I didn't. And I remember looking at him and going, what? What do you mean you didn't fall out of love with Jesus? And he said, John, I loved him all the way through it. And now he sees confusion in my eyes. And he said to me, John, I didn't fear God. And all of a sudden, lights went off. And he said, John, there are millions of Americans just like me. They love Jesus, but they don't fear God. You see, the love of God and the fear of God are the forces that keep us on the narrow road. Jesus, if you look at Matthew 7, says that the gate is very narrow, but then he says the way after the gate is also narrow. So the road to life after being saved, the gate is, is the gate of being saved. The road is narrow. Well, every road's got a ditch on both sides. So does the narrow road of life. And God's given us two great forces to keep us out of those ditches. The first ditch is called legalism. The church was in a terrible legalistic ditch in the 50s and 60s. And then what happened was the Jesus revolution. We found out that our father loved us. And there was a man of God who came out with a great revelation in that time period 
that said God is a good God. And you know what the love of God did? The love of God delivered us from the ditch of legalism. But then you know what we did? We did what so many do, is we said we went so far from that ditch of legalism, we went to the other side of the road and fell into the other ditch. And that ditch is called lawlessness. And the force that keeps us from that ditch is called the fear of the Lord. This minister did not walk in the fear of God, and he said, John, millions of Americans are just like me, which means that millions of Americans are susceptible to not finishing well or having shipwrecked faith. This is exactly, if you remember in lesson one, what Paul the apostle forewarned would happen before Jesus returned. Well, between the incident in the church in 1994 and the incident in this federal penitentiary with the world-famous evangelist, now my hunger and thirst for the fear of the Lord is so strong, I am literally crying out, God, fill me with your spirit of fear. Because why? It's one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah says that the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Jesus, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of understanding, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord, and his delight was in the fear of the Lord. So there's one really important word that I want to drive home right now, and it's called longevity. I'm interested in finishing well. It's not how we start this race that counts. It's how we finish. And Christianity isn't a sprint. It's an endurance run. It's something that we need to be consistent with. And so in regard to longevity, I learned another huge lesson about four, four or five years after 1994. It was around 1998 or 1999. And I traveled to the nation of Malaysia. It was a national meeting, the largest Bible school in the nation. Pastors had traveled from all over the nation. Believers had traveled from all over. And it was a really tough time. There were 10 services that we did, and we were on our 10th and final service. And I preached a little bit on the fear of the Lord. And I will never forget, at the end of the message, I felt impressed to call all the women who knew they were called to preach the gospel but had never publicly acknowledged it. Well, let me tell you, these women came forward. I mean, the auditorium was packed, and I remember there were like five women deep, and it, and it was a very wide platform. And all the way across, there were five women deep of these Asian women saying, I am called to preach. And I remember starting to walk down off the platform to minister to these women and pray with them. And all of a sudden, this presence came into the auditorium that the only way I know how to describe it is daddy came into the room, okay? This wonderful joy, this amazing love, this delightful presence of the Lord fills this arena. And all of a sudden, Without me saying anything, these women just started laughing. And their laughter turned into absolute joy to where within minutes, now this is the most strange thing, and you're going to think this is strange because I still think it's really something. They were on the floor and nobody caught them. And now they're on the floor and they're laughing hysterically. Now you got to understand, I'm raised Catholic, okay? And I've not seen much like this in my lifetime. And, I, and I'm, I'm enjoying it, right? And finally, I just sit on the platform and I thought, I'm just going to enjoy this. And it, it was so wonderful to see how God was touching these daughters with such, such joy, such happiness. And, and, and so it lasted about five minutes. And then all of a sudden, that presence lifted. And I remember there was a lull in the atmosphere, and within just 60 seconds, another presence came in. But this one wasn't Daddy God. This one was an awesome presence, 
almost, and please understand, a terrifying, but terrifying in a good way. And I remember when that presence came in, I thought, oh boy. And I remember standing up and pacing cautiously back and forth. And I remember all of a sudden these women who were laughing were now weeping uncontrollably and even wailing. And I remember the atmosphere was so thick with this awesome presence. I remember all I could say was, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I'm walking back and forth and a thought went through my, my mind. John Bevere, you say one wrong word, you make one wrong move, you're dead. Now you're saying, John, would that have happened? I don't know, but it did happen with Ananias and Sapphira when they brought that offering and that church service up and they acted irreverently in that presence. I knew that irreverence would not be tolerated. The king had entered the room. And I remember just walking back and forth and all of a sudden out of my, my mouth came these words, this is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And that is when, in the first time in my life, I realized that the spirit of the fear of the Lord is one of the manifestations of God's Holy Spirit, as Isaiah 11 says that I shared with you earlier. And I remember when I'm walking back and forth, I discovered there's a difference between my heart and my head because my head was going, God, I can't take this. And my heart was going, Lord, don't lift, don't lift. Remember, the word of God will divide between soul and spirit. I'm sitting there, and the awe of God is so strong in this arena. And I remember it lasts about three or four minutes, and then it subsides. And when it subsided, we're all standing there in just awe and silent. And I remember cautiously saying, Lord, what do I do? And he said, I'm through with you. And I said, okay. And I turned it over to the leader, and he came up and quietly dismissed the service. He was wise. He understood, man, we're not going to end this one with a song. There is, there is a sober, a wonderful sober atmosphere in, the, in this place. And I remember walking out and there was a couple from India, the nation of India, and they were students in the Bible school and they were just completely impacted by this presence. And we just looked at each other for a few seconds with nothing to say. And finally she looked at me and she said, I feel so clean inside. And I went, that's it. That exactly describes what I feel in my heart right now. I feel so clean. Well, the next morning, I was getting ready to play basketball with the guys at the Bible school. Uh, and I'm putting on my gym shorts, I think, in, in the hotel room. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me. And he said, son, I want you to read Psalm 19. Now, I had no idea what Psalm 19 was going to read. So I go over there and I start writing verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. I get down to verse 9. And I read this, the fear of the Lord is clean. And I went, oh my gosh, there it is. The fear of the Lord is clean. That's exactly what we felt in that service. But now listen to this. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The Holy Spirit spoke to me in that hotel room. Man, this is one of those times you never forget. And he said, son, Lucifer led worship right before my throne room, before my glory. He was anointed to do so. He did not fear me. He didn't endure forever. He said, son, a third of the angels were in my throne room. They beheld my glory. They did not fear me. They did not endure forever. He said, Adam and Eve walked in the presence of my glory. They did not fear me. They did not endure forever. He said, every created being that surrounds my throne throughout eternity will have been tested in the holy 
fear of God. Then I started thinking about all the pastors who had started in ministry so excited. I had remembered the famous evangelist in prison started so excited, passionate, weeping. He didn't endure in his ministry. His ministry no longer exists because he didn't have the fear of the Lord. So now we turn our attention to holiness because holiness is so misunderstood by so many people. They think it's legalistic. Holiness means to be completely God's. That's what it means. Holiness is to be set apart for him. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 says, let us, listen, this is straight from the New Testament. Let us cleanse ourselves. Listen to that. Cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Notice it doesn't say perfecting holiness in the love of God. Again, Philippians 2.12 says that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, not love and kindness. We mature our salvation with the fear of the Lord. In other words, we become more and more his, more and more like Jesus through what? Holy fear. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it's irresistible. Now, holiness is not an end to itself. It's actually a passageway, a doorway into something that all of us desire, and that is deep intimacy with God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 makes this statement. Pursue holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Wow, what a statement. Now, let's talk about that word pursue. The, the Greek word pursue there is defined as this, to do something with intense effort and with definite purpose or goal. Wow, there is no beating around the bush on this one. You are on the track of something with intense purpose to get it. It's like, it's like a hunter on the track of a big elk. He is going to get that elk and nothing's going to stop him. That's literally what that word means. Now, the question we have to ask, is he talking about positional holiness or behavioral holiness? Now, you say, there's a difference? Yes. This is why people really don't understand holiness is they lump all holiness in the New Testament into one bucket. No, 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 no. There are two different holinesses. There is behavioral holiness and there is positional holiness. Let me explain it to you by our marriage. Lisa and I were married 40 years ago, okay? On the day that we were married, Lisa became my wife. She is not more my wife today, 40 years later, positionally, than she was the day I married, and she will not be more my wife 40 more years from now than the day we married. She became my wife. That is positional holiness, Okay, if we look at Ephesians 1, verse 4, just as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God positionally said, I declare you holy because of what my son Jesus Christ has done. That's positional. So you're never, ever going to become more holy than what Jesus has done for you. However, once Lisa and I was married, now she had a behavior that lined up with her position. Before we were married, she flirted with guys. She would get, guys would get her phone number. They would ask her out on dates. After we got married, she's not flirting with guys. She's not get, giving them their, her number. She's not going out on dates anymore because she's now got a behavior that lines up with her position. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1.15. But as the one who called you is holy... You yourselves also be holy in all your conduct and manner of living. Now he's talking about behavioral holiness that lines up with our position. So now we got to go back to pursue holiness without which no man sees the Lord. 
Is he talking about positional holiness or behavioral? Well, he's obviously talking about behavioral. Now, the consequences of not pursuing holiness is not seeing the Lord. Now, does that mean we're not going to see him in heaven? No, I want to bring it to this earth, okay? Let me, let me help you understand it by this. I, I have been under, I think, 11 or 12 United States presidents. I, in essence, have a relationship with these guys. We all do in the sense that the decisions they make affect my life. I'm under their leadership, under their, their rulership, under, you know, th- th- they're going to make decisions. They're going to affect all of us. But I have never been in the presence of a United States president in all my years of living. In other words, I have never seen a United States president in person. There are Christians. They're under the rule of Jesus Christ. They have a relationship with him. His decisions affect their lives. His his words affect their lives. However, they're no different than me with the president of the United States. They're not close with him. They're not hearing his word. They're not in his presence why? Because they're not chasing after with the intent to apprehend holiness. This is what the scripture is talking about. So the consequences of not pursuing holiness is number one, not being in the presence of the Lord. And number two, if we don't see him or behold him, guess what? We're not changed into his image. So our transformation is stunted. We stunt the growth of our character by not pursuing holiness. If you look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says that we are being transformed into the same image of Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to another by beholding him. So without holiness, I'm not beholding him in my heart. I'm not being transformed into his character and likeness. James makes this statement. He said, your motives are all wrong. He's actually writing to Christians. He said, you only want what gives you pleasure, you adulterers. Wow. He just called these Christians adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? He's writing to believers here. Now, God is always using marriage imagery to illustrate his relationship with us. I mean, in the Old Testament, he says, your creator is your God. In the New Testament, Jesus is the groom, we're the bride. If you look at Ephesians 5, it says, a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife. The two become one. But then he says, this is actually an illustration of the way the church and Jesus are one. Now, let's go back to Lisa. Why have I not committed adultery against my wife, Lisa? The reason I don't want to commit adultery against Lisa is because I don't want to be in the same bed with this wonderful woman and her not share secrets, the intimate secrets of her heart. Let me tell you something. She's a remarkable woman. And one of the greatest joys of being married to this remarkable woman is to know her heart's desires, her her innermost thoughts. And without that, it's really not a great marriage. Well, the reason I don't commit adultery against Jesus is because I don't ever want that voice to be silenced. That voice that tells me things I've never known, that unlocks the word of God to me, that speaks things to me that are to come and speaks things to me that strengthens me. I don't want that voice silenced. Yeah, I may technically still be married to Lisa, but our intimacy is sure going to be affected if I commit adultery. We may still technically be saved and belong to Jesus, but it's going to affect our intimacy with him. And that's what's most important. Well, Let me say this, 
I hope you got something from this. I hope that you have a desire to pursue irresistible holiness because when you do, you will enjoy the presence of our Creator. See you in the next lesson. Wow, 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 wow. I think we should just go home now to begin our a week of fasting and praying for a baptism of the spirit of fear of the Lord. Not spirit of fear, but the spirit of the fear of the Lord. What was that what you were saying? Yeah, let's do it. Let's just take a minute. Let's just ask, ask Holy Spirit. Spirit of God. We're asking you tonight, God, that you would baptize us, that you would immerse us in your presence, and that you would manifest in your presence that part of you that would bring a holy fear of God. Lord, we, we give you free access. We open up every part of our hearts and minds to you. That you would come and you would search us. You would know us and we would know you. That we would begin to press in deeper to behold you, to behold your glory. That we could represent you rightly that we could be transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus and bring glory to your name, not dishonor, not reproach. God, make us more aware of your presence. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I mean, we could just go into a prayer meeting right now. <laughs> just put some soaking music on. And... <sighs> okay. Everybody all right? You guys okay? Okay. There. Something on the screen. I know you wanted something to look at up there. So that was session three. We have three more to go after this. Irresistible holiness. Irresistible holiness. Proverbs 16.6. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Proverbs 16.6. So just a, a couple questions. What thoughts come to mind when you hear the word legalism? And what thoughts come to mind when you hear the word lawlessness. Take it away, Tammy. Actually, when I hear the word legalism, I hear rules, like a list of, of rules. But with lawlessness, there are no rules. Like, there, that's what it says, lawlessness. 
but legalism, like, don't do this, don't do that. Very, like, defined. Yeah. Say, that's good. Sandy, I'd be interested to hear from some of the people in the room that have walked with the Lord for decades more than, than myself, where I didn't experience legalism, but I definitely experienced the setup for potential lawlessness. Foursquare denomination was pretty, pretty free, maybe a little bit of legalism, but not, not as much as maybe what some of you have gone through. So if you have something to share on that. To me, legalism is dry. You have to do this, you have to do that. It's not a question of if you want to. It's you have to. And it becomes dry in your spirit. Lawlessness is that you don't care. You can act as wild, uh, whatever, or you do not. And there is, and you don't want anything to do with God whatsoever. You walk away from it. Yeah. It's too dry. It's too, there's nothing in it for me. I tried it once, but you know, it never worked for me. I've heard that a lot throughout my life. Hmm. But I experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I was young. And there's, once you feel you're in that presence, you continually want it. You don't always get it because of life happening. But you desire it in your heart. You want that um, freshness. You want that experience back. You don't want to continue as you're going. With lawlessness, you don't want anything. You just, you push everything away. Anybody brings it up, they, they get heated. They don't want to hear it from you, and they will fight you tooth and nail to uh, stay away because they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear how much God loves them. Yeah. It's like a moisture that comes into your spirit when you know the Lord. It's a freshness. It's not dry. It's not, um, I don't know how, what the word would Life. be. Life. It's life. Yeah. So, the Lord has been good. We've all had problems in our lives, but when you know you've made mistakes, when you've done things you know that you shouldn't have done, you don't just say, oh, well. You're, you weep before the Lord because you know it's wrong. And you ask the Lord to forgive you and help you not to live or do those things anymore. I have a fear of the Lord and the fact that I don't want to be anywhere away from him whatsoever. I know that he's coming back soon. And I want to make sure that my heart and life is right before him at all times. Yeah. It isn't that if I make a mistake, he's going to kick me out. Right. Because he's a loving, loving God, and he takes care of us, and he helps us work back. And I feel that way with my children, that he's going to bring them back. 
because he still loves him. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Thanks for sharing from your heart. Yeah. You guys have anything? Anybody else? I know you've maybe not have the decades. David. As long as it's not a glass of tea or something. Even though you haven't had the decades of, of seeing the different types of church, I know you, you personally had that experience with some legalism too. Yeah, I think I grew up in a legalistic uh, environment where a lot of people just look back to uh, the law and they'll, they'll also like add on some of their own rules and it is a lot of you have to do this and you have to do that and it doesn't feel very good because then you're like well I just have to do this for God or for whatever reason I don't fully understand why but it's just another it's, it's now it's a task or it's a thing that I have to do which it almost becomes a workspace thing because then you're like well as long as I try and follow these rules, I'll get into heaven somehow. And um, that wasn't great. And at the same time, like, in my own rebelliousness, I also took a lot of things for granted that Jesus did for us. So even though I was like in a legalistic environment, I was living my own lawless environment because I took all the things that he had for me for granted, or I didn't appreciate what Jesus did for me. So there's, I was, I was in both ditches. So that's what comes to my mind. When I hear him talking about lawlessness, I think of the, the state of the church where anything goes. That sloppy mm. agape. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the grace to stop sinning, it's the grace to keep sinning. And it's, well, we got the freedom of the Holy Spirit now, we're out of that, we have our own, like, Jesus 70s revolution in the church. Yeah. You know, it went too far the other way. And so you've got, like, both two polar opposites pulling on each other. And the lawlessness, if you're in that camp too, you won't even hear the fear of God. Because that sounds like legalism, right? It's just yeah. totally twisted. But like both sides are totally wrong. You know, so that's what I hear. Yeah, that's good. I guess Tammy's going to be the microphone go for tonight. <laughs> you know, I really appreciate, I appreciated uh, John Bevere bringing in that whole thing. And we're going to look at it, I think, pretty quick here. But the, the difference between positional holiness and behavioral. So in my mind, legalism is trying to be good enough to obtain the position or to keep the position, even though the position is a free gift. Like, he saved me, not because of anything that I have done, but because he loved me and he chose me to become his own. And then lawlessness, on the other hand, is totally not caring about the heart of God. Like you, it, when you fall into lawlessness, you forget about his presence. You don't really desire intimacy and you're just 
but you're, you're led by your flesh, basically. And that is that thing that's in, in the culture, I think in American culture especially, it's a very uh, sensual, I mean, it's in your face. Way more than when we were, well, when we were in high school. Yeah. When you guys were in high school. Yeah, And so it's just, yeah, it's just that the, the culture is getting more and more deeper into that lawlessness. And what we really need is the Spirit of God poured out on all flesh and revival break out. Anybody more? Any more thoughts? We could stay on this one for the rest of the night if you want. You had some thoughts, Dad? No? Okay. Okay, here we go. In this week's teaching, you heard about a former pastor who ended up in federal prison. He claimed that he loved Jesus, but that he did not fear God. How do you respond to that claim? I guess the, the question... The, I believe the question is, how do you, do you feel like that's possible to love Jesus but not fear God? I think based on what we were just talking about. Makes sense. Makes sense, yeah. <laughs> we probably don't need to belabor this one. No. Did you have some thoughts on this one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. okay. We can't hear you without the mic, so she's going to hand it to you. My only thought is, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and word. So how can you love him and not keep his commandments and word? So I don't believe that's a true statement. Amen. If you, live, if, he, if you love him, you will keep his words. Yeah. You can't do something else. Yeah. There's no other way. That's, that's the only thing I didn't like that part. Yeah. No, I, I think that's awesome. That's a great point. Yes. I, I think in, in light of what you're saying, I, I think there are different levels of... I don't even know about levels. I think there's people out there that possibly aren't even saved that say, oh, I love Jesus, and then they're just like, like very gross the way they talk. I, I had a co-worker at another job a long time ago said some really vulgar stuff. And I mean, I was just like, I couldn't believe he was talking about this, prostitutes and stuff. And I just, and then he's like, I love Jesus. I thought, I don't, so. I don't know about that. You, you might love your idea of Jesus, but you don't really love him personally. Yeah, really because what you just said, Jesus said, if, if we love him, we will obey his commands. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that all of us if we're not 100% perfect at obeying his commands, that, that, doesn't, that means then we don't love him. It's just that there are, I think there are times that we all face or situation, whatever, situations, times, hopefully not seasons. Levels of maturity. Levels of maturity. Yeah. There you go. Or we've deceived ourselves into thinking that we love Jesus. Or we deceive ourselves thinking we love Jesus. Yeah. I'm repeating for the, yeah. the mic. Yeah, okay. That's good. That's good. It's good. I think what it, what it really comes down to, what it will really come down to, is when God judges, when God judges the hearts of everyone. I think Paul somewhere says, I know we like to quote that, you know, don't, you know, judge not lest you be judged. When, when someone's trying to, you know, maybe speak into your life about something that they see, 
if you're doing something really bad, you know. Like, don't, you can't judge me. Only God's my judge. There is some truth to that. We, we are not to judge each other. But, or because. Boy, am I getting in a rabbit hole here? You guys are looking at me kind of like, where are you going to go with this? <laughs> I'm not prepared with the addresses that I'm thinking of right now, but yeah. Even Paul said it was Paul. He's talking about God judges the, judges, judges the heart. That he doesn't even judge himself. I'd have to find the exact scripture. Do you guys know which one I'm talking about where he's, he's talking about that? It's in the context of other factions of, of believers in, in the church casting judgment. And I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. And I follow Jesus. So, okay. Now I wasted all that time. So here we go. Legalism is one of the ditches we can fall into as we walk the narrow road of salvation. What examples have you witnessed during your time as a follower of Christ? Falling into the ditch of legalism. Kind of already talked a little bit about it, but if someone has a good example of, of legalism, I don't know if this is asking you to share, you know, if you don't need to, like, share your own personal pitfall into this, but maybe just a no-named example of someone falling into legalism. think oftentimes legalism manifests in that whole thing of trying to pick the speck out of someone else's eye when you got a log in your own. Yeah, that could be legalism in your heart towards others. Legalism for thee, but not for me. <laughs> I'm going to judge your, your behavior a lot stronger than I'll judge my own. And then there could be the opposite, you know, just personal. Some people, I think, get really just trapped in legalism. Yeah. Like they feel like they're just not doing enough. 
to earn God's favor, which is true. You could never do enough to earn his favor and his love. So you, you got to use the mic because we're recording it. Sorry. I can hear you. No, that's okay. The Pharisees did that a lot. And mm-hmm. they didn't like the idea that Jesus, they had to follow Jesus because they were jealous of the authority he had. And he, he like he said, he said, I only do those things that my father tells me. What he does, I do. And it's not legalistic because the Pharisees wanted to be the best in any situation they came in. And that became so grating on their nerves when Jesus called them out. Yeah. Yeah, they love to be followed and praised by people and point other people's sin. That's okay. Everyone forgets about the fact that we record. So that's why I have. I, Remind gently. Um, Yeah, just like the woman who was caught in adultery, they thought, oh, we're going to stone this chick. She's like dead. We busted her. And then Jesus exposed their hearts. He's like, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. Where are your accusers? They're all gone. Should we, do we move on? Should we move on to the next one? Okay. We're doing really good, but we could do better. <laughs> did, I, did it change? No, yes. Now oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So lawlessness is the other ditch that we can fall into as we walk the road of salvation. What are the dangers of falling into lawlessness, both for the individual and for the church? So we're not, we're not asking about examples in this question, but what are the dangers of falling into lawlessness for for the individual who's falling into lawlessness as well as the church. Others. Well, as long as someone's talking, that's all we care. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to go on to the next question. Well, if you stop and think about... We're all trying to answer. When lawlessness comes into the picture, you're not thinking about somebody else. You're wanting things to go your way. But you're right. also leading others away from God. And it, you can lead them right into hell. You're not leading them to Jesus. You're wanting things your way, not God's way. God wants the opposite. Because he loves us too much to let us go. Yeah. Anybody have some thoughts on that besides Sharon? Auntie Sharon? Uh, This question reminds me of uh, the warnings that we get about um, people who keep looking for a sign and um, Jesus said like apart from me you're, you're a lawless generation keep looking for a sign but also the, the other part that reminds me of is um, for people who are not keeping his commands like 
and but they're still going out and, and looking like and appearing like Christians. But when we go to judgment, he's like, depart from me, I never knew you. So I think that's the danger there is like, we don't really, for one, we're missing out on part of our inheritance in heaven. We're also running in danger of Jesus saying, I don't know who you are. You're lawless. You never, you never considered me or my ways to begin with. So that's really good. Amen. I think that's that's a that's a scary but good point because I think that all of us. So, like every Christian needs to rest, rest in the finished work of Christ. Right? Like we don't want to try to earn it. We, we don't want to diminish the cross and become self-righteous, right? At the same time, in that... What, what am I trying to say? Yeah, so we don't want to diminish the cross, but we don't want to become so careless about the salvation that we've been entrusted. We, if we allow the Word of God to teach us and instruct us, and renew the way we think, then it's going to, the effect should be, from what I understand in the scriptures, is that it's actually a path of growing, growing in righteousness, growing in holiness. Um, It's a path of maturity. You're going from being a baby, like this little baby over here that is dependent on everything. I mean, it makes a mess. Someone else is going to have to clean it up. When dad's around, hopefully you make him do it. But, but we, we can't stay a baby forever. And so I think that personal reflection, we, sh- we should search our own hearts and, and examine ourselves. I, I think if you've walked with the Lord long enough and you've, you've gone through that self-examination, you, you, know, when you're, you know you're saved. Okay. But, but if, I think that some people that, that never actually pursue that working out the salvation that you've received as a free gift with fear and trembling. Some people that have never really pursued that, there, there's always that question, you know, not always that question. There, there's that question that should come to every believer. Am I saved? I think maybe it's the Holy Spirit sometimes prompting us to search our own hearts. Like, am I saved? I think he wants us to rest in his finished work. At the same time, I think he wants us to be aware of the growth process that we're called into. Like, we don't want to wear pull-ups forever. We don't want to wear diapers forever. Right? I mean, we, we want to become mature sons and daughters. In order to do that, we have to examine ourselves and base everything that we do out of obedience on our position, back to that position thing. I don't know. I'm kind of all over the place, but there's a thought that I have that I, yeah. Yeah, I want to kind of add to what I said, but also I think it goes with what you're just now saying about maturing and growing in our walk with God. Is that, and this is something I've been thinking about the past few weeks, where, like, we want to, we want to experience God in a new way that just knocks our socks off. And we just want to, like, go there, like, God, take us away, sweep us off our feet, you know? Like, and we want to see the next (laughs) revival and the next revival. Yeah. And you 
you start, you can see some patterns where people will go just from convention to convention because they're looking for that next spiritual high. Yeah. Yeah. But there's no maturity happening. Revival junkies. Revival, yeah, yeah. revival junkies. And that's why, that's why I was reminded of that passage where, in, in a way, the Pharisees were asking, show us a sign to prove that you are the Son of God. But in, a, in another way, I think that when we're constantly focused on, oh God, you know, sweep us out of our feet, or else I don't, I don't know if, if you're real or not. That's an immature perspective, and a mature perspective is God is always around and available somewhere. Just he's maybe he's not always like revealing his presence to us in that strong way where it just totally blows us away. And so in between those times, we have to grow in our maturity Good. to walk as, as he walks. So that's why I said that. Yeah, that's yeah. good. About that's seeking a sign. Yeah. So. And to tag on to that, here's a minister who was probably deceiving himself. And we see this, like, the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. They're without repentance. Exactly. And the power of God can be on someone. They're manifesting, they're healing, they're prophesying, they're in total lawlessness. And surely, God, you wouldn't be using me if I was in lawlessness. And God uses people even when they're in lawlessness. Yeah. For some reason, I'm not God, I wouldn't do it like that. But, but he does. And so we can uh, deceive ourselves or other people, just because people are moving in the signs and wonders and the power, but they, they're just totally, they're getting away with it. God hasn't caught them yet. Maybe they think they're going to keep getting away with it. Right. And like the pastor said, going to prison saved them. Yeah. So I think there's, there's, like, we're getting into this. Lord, give us the fear of God and discernment so we stay out of both ditches. Because that's yeah. kind of scary. Yeah. So. It's yeah. good. I think of... Um, some of you in the room might not know who Lonnie Frisbee is, but it makes me think of Lonnie Frisbee, who, you know, we just recently had the whole Ash, Asbury, Asbury, Ashbury, Asbury re revival that happened, and then this whole Jesus movie that came out about the Calvary Chapel movement, and this mysterious figure in the, from the 70s, Lonnie Frisbee, who God, he was a hippie doing drugs, and he gets saved, and then he starts baptizing other hippies in the ocean, and Phil, he, he basically was the, the instrument God used to pull these hippies out of darkness into the light and bringing them into this Calvary Chapel church. And then he would pray for people and the power of God would come upon them and they would shake and fall. And he had got a bad reputation for that because a lot of people and leaders in churches didn't like it. But then when he um, brought the presence of God in a, a meeting one time, a Calvary Chapel church, that Calvary Chapel Church led by John Wimber, who's the founder of the Vineyard Movement, that's when the Vineyard Movement was born because they wanted the signs and wonders. But all this time, God used Lonnie Frisbee in that powerful way, yet he was, there was a secret lifestyle going on. And so it makes you wonder, it's like, how does this work, God? Like, God used him as a pipeline to release the presence. I mean, he would pray for people in the back rooms. And in fact, that was some of the things the Calvary Chapel guys, 
I'll get to the end here. I know Tammy's looking at me like, are you going to shut up? <laughs> the Calvary Chapel people, when he was still with them, they wanted him to do that in the back room, not in front of everyone. They didn't want to see everyone shaking. Anyway, so go ahead. Not to backtrack or anything, um, but when you were talking, it reminded me of a quote I had seen, um, and it said, God loves us as we are, but too much. He loves us too much to leave us that way. And so I feel like when we first come to God, um, he just wants us as we are, just to come um, in all of our brokenness. But as we grow closer to him, we're going to become more like him. So meaning, you know, we're not going to stay in that same sin, even though, like, he loves us through the beginning all the way to the end, through the brokenness. And, yeah, a little yeah. nervous. <laughs> but yeah. it kind of reminded me of what you were saying. Too, so. And it's awesome. And it's amazing that he never stops loving us. Even if you're one of those sons or daughters that never changes. You just stay in your diapers. He's still, he, he can't love you any less. It's just that the person that he loves and saved is missing out on their inheritance. Like they, they could experience intimacy with God in a way and grow in him and, and be effective and have rewards. But I don't know. I don't know. I, and back to what you said, though, I think it's, it's a dangerous place because I think all of us at some point, we want to make sure we're saved. Like, we want to check ourselves. We don't want to be so, like, careless about it. Oh, you know, once saved, always saved. I said the prayer. I was baptized. I'm going to live however I want, and I know I'm going to go to heaven. It's like, well, that's kind of not really the way it's walked out how I read it in the book. Yeah, so. that's good. Should we move on? We need to Yes, it's, we need to move on. Okay, Tammy said it. we got two questions left. Holiness simply means being set apart. Those who are holy are set apart exclusively for God's kingdom and belong completely to Him. In your experience, what does holiness look like in everyday life? How can you recognize that reality in others and in yourself? Keep your answer short. We're running out of time. <laughs> if anyone wants to jump on, I'm, I'm going to just leave the rest of these questions for you guys because, yeah. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and answer this one, Tammy? Come, Tammy. Go, Tammy. Go, Tammy. What does holiness look like in everyday life, Aunt Sharon, and how can you recognize it in others and in yourself? I think you recognize it more in others than you do yourself. <laughs> but sometimes when you start talking to someone or you're you, you don't really know them, but you have this impression, this feeling that Right. And you're always hoping and praying that the Lord would put in you, work in you, work in you. Because without that, you won't do it. That's good. I said I wasn't going to contribute anymore, but honestly, what what. When I know that 
when, when I feel that clean from the, just the, I mean, I don't normally call it the fear of the Lord. It's just being intimate with God, spending time with Him, and letting Him clean my heart. There's joy. Like, I have joy and peace. If I'm feeling a little disconnected from God, it could just be going into work without having any time with God first and just being overly tired, but you're kind of like, you know, like, don't talk to me. People see it. People will see it in you, but they'll see the joy. And I, I've, I, lo- I, I love it. I've loved it in the past when, especially as a new believer, people would say, yeah, I can see the Lord shining out of you. And that would make you feel so good, you know, when someone says that. And so it happens, I think, in other ways for a lot of us. Sometimes you're, like, talking to someone who knows you're a Christian, and they say, oh, hell, and they're like, sorry. <laughs> and you're just like, you chuckle. Because it's your walk, it's the presence of the Lord in your life that they recognize. It's convicting. Yeah. I think a good example, too, is when we were living in Tacoma, there were two different church groups, and you knew which was which. The one that we ended up attending for a while, they were so joyful. Oh yeah, yeah. We could, we were like, we saw them like laughing and just like walking across the parking lot. We approached them. We're like, "Are you from this church?" And they're like, "Yeah." How'd you know? Because you guys are really joyful. Got the joy. And then you knew the ones from the other church that looked like they sucked on lemons all the time. Like they were grumpy and they weren't friendly. And you were like, "Whoa!" <laughs> like this is not yeah. okay. Like, <laughs> like I think I know what church you go to. <laughs> yeah. So. And that kind of goes back to the whole legalism thing, too. Legalism steals your joy. It steals your joy yeah. walking with the Lord. So. Yeah. Okay, Tammy says we better go. Let's go. Let's go. No, no, no. No, no, no. We're not going there. <laughs> Got her attention over there. <laughs> I it, stopped him. <laughs> she stopped me. I just saw you, you're, you perked up. You're like... <laughs> It's important to remember, as, as your mother and aunt leave the room, it's important to remember that the goal of fearing God is sticking through to the end of the meeting. Good night. The goal of fearing God, just like the goal of holiness, is not to gain spiritual points, but to develop a deeper intimacy with Christ. This is the point. This is, that's the point right there. It's to gain intimacy. We don't, we don't work on our behavior and try to be obedient and, and obey all of the commands for spiritual points. We might be tempted to. Sometimes I think in our, in our thinking, sometimes we can get that way because, you know, we, we forget that God is God and we sometimes think, well, he probably thinks like I do. That needs to be dealt with. But anyway, yeah, so spiritual points, but develop deeper intimacy with Christ. What are some ways you have experienced that intimacy, that connection in recent months? Should we just leave it as an unanswered question, or does someone have a thought? You got a thought on it? (laughs) Anything from the peanut gallery? I had to say it to someone else. I said it to my dad one time. He's like, he said, I was in the peanut gallery. <laughs> Oscar, you got some thoughts on this one? Intimacy with Christ. Intimacy with God. 
Well, I think you all, you all could probably give me some examples of how you've experienced intimacy and connection with, with the Lord in recent months, hours, last 10, 20. Time with him. Yeah, worship. Worship. Even fellowshipping with other believers yeah. when it's real, real fellowship and not just, you know. Hey, how are you? Hmm? Hey, how are you? Hey, hey, what's up? Hey, how's, nice weather's day. pretty nice today. <laughs> okay, next one. It's easy to confuse positional holiness with behavioral holiness. When we accept God's gift of salvation, the Lord declares our position before him to be holy because of what Jesus did for us. Excuse, let me reword that. The Lord declares our position before him to be holy because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. However, he wants our behavior to change so that we will mature in our faith and become more like Christ. Take a minute, reflect on what Peter says about this. So here's 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. So we're just allowing the Word of God just to speak to our hearts, just reflect on that. This is basically, uh, well, there's still two questions. I can zip through them. Just read them okay, we'll read them. Tammy has a good idea. We'll... I'll just read the question, and then we'll just let you ponder. <laughs> but if you really get a revelation, raise your hand, and we'll, we'll bring the microphone over. So Peter described Christians as obedient children. Obedient children. <laughs> obedient children of God. In what ways is following God similar to a parent Oh, oh! I thought something. I thought something was going on over here, no, like no, no, no. like they were sticking a piece of metal in the light in no, the plug-in. Okay, she was like, oh, scared me. Sorry. In what ways is following God similar to a parent-child relationship? In what ways is it different? So something I always taught our children is quick obedience or slow obedience is disobedience. And if they can't obey me, they're going to have a really hard time obeying God because God put me in authority over them. And so that's kind of their practice is learning to obey the parents so that later on, and as we teach them to obey us, we're teaching them that they're actually obeying God. So, does that answer the question? That's a good answer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Delayed obedience is disobedience. We see it in our culture. You know, people don't fear authority. They don't obey authority. When the, when the police officer says, put your hands on the steering wheel, you put your hands on the steering wheel, right? Yeah, He's got a gun. Hands. He's got authority. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I obeyed the officer. When he said, get out of the car and touch your nose and then <laughs> say the alphabet. <laughs> I'm joking. Say the alphabet backwards, I failed the test. Oh, I because none of you can fit past that one either. Like, I don't know. Okay. 
So we want to grow in maturity. We're sons and daughters of God. We want to approach our Father. We have the spirit of sonship. We call God our Father, and we want to obey his voice. We want to, we want to please him. We want to follow close to him. Yeah. How is he different? Well, he's, he's not. He's God. He's, he's God. He's an all-consuming yes. fire. He's a, he's a lion. Yeah, exactly. He is creator. Yeah. Okay. When you look back on your life, where do you see meaningful progress on your journey toward holiness? Where is God calling you to step more into behavioral holiness? So this is, a, this is the takeaway questions tonight. Just think about this. I mean, if you want to share something, go. But well, I think whether you share something or not, just think about this. Maybe, this. maybe you haven't given it thought. Maybe you haven't thought to yourself, well, where, where do I want my life to end? Where, how do I want it to look as, a, as a, if I want to finish well? So, and where is he calling us? Where is he calling you to step into another level of obedience? Behavioral holiness. If you want to share, David. Are you sure? I was going to say, Cara, do you need to come over here and poke him in the side? I mean, I think doing this book is part of my progress on my journey toward holiness because it's totally shifted my perspective. Like in the past few months that I've been reading and pondering this message of the fear of the Lord, like it's become my number one priority. Like I don't want to do anything else until I totally have this settled in my spirit like I don't want to move on until I'm visited by the spirit of the fear of the Lord because until I have that I feel like there's just no point doing anything else it's for my personal yeah. perspective oh, yeah that, that came from the Lord you didn't put that in yourself so no that's really good and like I just see, I could just see in the future, like where where we're going is we're just in that place of like because it's the doorway to intimacy with them. It's like we're partnering with Jesus in everything that we do. So this is an invitation to like be closer to Him, and it's like everything that we get to participate with Him just has so much more purpose and meaning in it. Yeah, yeah. and that's where that's where I want to go. Yeah, and. Um, I wanted to mention this is a, t a kind of a tag along too for the I think this is part of the week three um, video and at the, at the, one of the end chapters in week three is like John Bevere mentions like we don't have we don't have to do this we don't have to try to do this journey of holiness in our own ability in fact it's better that we rely on God to help us on this path like we can rely on him we're not doing this journey of sanctification towards holiness alone we're doing it with him and with his help and with his power so we can rely on him too to give us the motivation that we need to keep pushing forward and persevering through you know difficult things so that's good awesome all right guys gals What is that? Beef? Oh, it's not beef. I thought it was a steak for a second there. He's hungry. A raw steak. A raw steak. 
Would you guys like to take communion together? We'll just end the evening with communion. I can bring... David Dave will bring some to you guys. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Nora, we'll skip you. Yeah. Okay, that works. I'm, I need one. Oh, wait, never mind. The basket's coming over here. My dad's going to be really happy tonight because we're going to do a really short and quick communion. <laughs> you know, when you live in the same house with someone, you hear all their thoughts about things. <laughs> and sometimes they're really valid thoughts. And you're like, yo, I know, I agree. And other times you're like, well... Agree to disagree. <laughs> it is awkward. <laughs> awkward. <laughs> Let me know when you get your, your uh, stuff ready. It's all set. Oscar's good. So Jesus paid for everything we need. Everything we need for life and for godliness has been provided for us through his word and through his spirit. And he has given us access to his presence and to his word, the revelation of the word, because he took our sin, he took the obstacle out of the way by taking our sin upon himself, bearing in his body on the cross the weight of the sin of the world. So Jesus, we thank you for your broken body tonight. We thank you that you removed the obstacle, that you took away the 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 power of the sinful nature. You disarmed it, and you've set us free. God, we thank you that through your broken body, we can come into your presence anytime, 24-7. Lord, we just hold this bread tonight, and we give you thanks. We give you praise for the price you paid that we could come into an intimate relationship with you, that we would know that we would actually step into what truly is the, the fear, the holy awe, the fear of God, and to know you. So we just thank you, Lord. We take this bread and we remember the price you paid in Jesus' name. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the power of your blood. God, we thank you that your blood not only removed the price of our sins, the penalty of our sins, your blood not only covered us, covered our iniquity, but your blood continues to cleanse our consciences. We thank you for the power of the cross that although it began in each one of us as a, as a starting work, it continues to be effective in our lives. Your blood washes, your blood cleanses, your blood reminds us of the authority and the power 
that you have. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your precious blood. We thank you that your blood brings healing. It brings freedom and deliverance and forgiveness. Let's go ahead and drink the cup.